this is Patrick Daly and welcome to Interlinks. Interlinks is a program about international business and globalization and the effects these have had on our life, our work and our travel over recent decades. There's a little bit of history, a dash of economics, a sprinkling of business and an overlay of personal experience both for me and from my interviewees from around the world. My guest today is an Irishman uh, as, a, as a novelty, uh, Aidan O'Dwyer. Uh, Aidan is the Head of Operations, Ireland and UK with uh, DPS Engineering, which is a global consulting, engineering and construction uh, business. So welcome, Aidan, and thank you very much for being here with us today. Oh, thank you very much, and thank you very much for having me. You're very welcome. Maybe just to quickly kick off, uh, Aidan, could you give us kind of a brief, fairly brief overview of your career to date? How did you come to be the head of operations at DPS Engineering? Oh, so uh, a long time ago, back in the late 70s, got a scholarship with MF Kent, um, which... Oh, Clonmel, was it? Yeah, Clonmel, yeah. I'm a Clonmel man, temporary man. Yeah. And uh, that saw me uh, head down to Cork CIT. Uh, later on, moved on to what was then NIHG and did my degree there. Uh, mm-hmm. I worked in... Uh, what, year, uh, what years were you in Cork? In, the- uh, in Cork in 1977 to 1979. Oh, okay, okay. I did instrumentation and controls there, then moved up to NIHE where I did my uh, my bachelor's degree in, in electronic engineering. Following off from that, I did a, a, a master's in business administration, again, sponsored by MF Kent, who have been very good to me in the early stages of my career, you know. Mm-hmm coming from um, basically funding as college was then fee paying. So therefore, you know, they, they, they certainly was a big dig out and we would be eternally grateful to them. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, well, with Kent, uh, they were a multinational. So that, that's straight away got me into working abroad, worked the Middle East, South Africa, uh, you know, all around Europe. And uh, and then uh, worked for a period with them in uh, Borneo and, and Singapore. And were Kent's an Irish-owned business? Uh, MF Kent was an Irish-owned business, then taken over by uh, um, a Malaysian consortium called, then turned into Kent's KNTZ. And okay. obviously recently there was were, uh, bought, bought out by FC Lavalant. Yeah, what's the story behind that name? It looks kind of German or... Uh, MF Kent, no, uh, Frank Kent was a, a, a proud Clamell man uh, <laughs> and uh, inherited the business from his dad uh, in the early 1900s uh, when it was started. And obviously with the industrialization process that was happening and the big move away from, let's say, the, the stable economies of, of the agricultural economy for Ireland back then mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. Ireland became more industrialized, you know, Kent's were right at the forefront of that probably, you know, were probably the the leading party in that way, and they, they they sought and secured a lot of electrical contracts initially, and then moved into mm-hmm. mechanical, and then broadened mm-hmm. out their scope. And what what years were Kent's active so far and wide internationally, and how did that how did that come about? How did they manage that? I had just ambition and and a, and, a, and a drive to take on a challenge. I mean, uh, I've often likened it to the fact that when you when you joined Kent's, they were kind of a company that threw you in at the deep end. Uh, if you swam, uh, you were going to make it and make it well in the company. And if you didn't, it was maybe Kent's it wasn't the right fit for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I suppose uh, I learned to swim and uh, you know had a very good career with themselves, uh, blending more onto the engineering side. Um, I I then moved over and. Worked Worked in the offshore industry in uh, in the UK in uh, fault tolerance systems, you know, fire and gas in America.
prior to the shutdown systems. Mm-hmm. And eventually, kind of with all that experience gained, I returned to Ireland in 1999 and joined Jacobs, uh, which are an American-based engineering company. And since then, I've focused in the pharmaceutical and, and the bio area, uh, uh, life sciences area of, of the industries, which I've been in since 99. Uh, I joined uh, DPS six years ago, uh, basically as the core corporations director. And two years back then, we're promoted into looking after the um, Ireland and the UK base. Mm-hmm. We've a big presence here in Ireland and looking to grow and develop that into the UK market. Yeah. When you started to work uh, internationally, which was quite early in your career, what what kind of struck you in terms of differences and similarities to to home and you know dealing with culture and all of that type of thing? Yeah, well, whenever I've worked on it or even engineered a project abroad, uh, it's very important to know that you're engineering to you know, local standards. You're not engineering to Irish standards because there are nuances always. And uh, certainly from the point of view of... Um, you know, uh, when I was in NAHG, um, I was looked to go work in South Africa, which, you know, had apartheid in place at that point in time. So as a very young man, then he had to, you know, look at that and the discrimination of that and, and seek it as a learning experience itself. Mm-hmm. And certainly it did. It taught me how to adapt, you know while not agreeing with the political process and maybe people, some people would say supporting it by going to work there, I learned to adapt and show the, the human face of you know, being brought up to look at everybody as an equal person. And you know, that's blended and, and helped my development as, a, mm. as an engineer and later on as a manager. So when I've worked abroad in other cultures, um, I found it very important to understand the, the basic tenets of what that culture was, you know, and and what is classified as, you know, appropriate behaviour in Ireland may be deemed as inappropriate in in another country. So therefore, you know, it's, it's it's like a soccer match. You've got to set up for you know for when you're playing away from home. You don't play the same way away from home as you do at home. And that'd be probably the best analogy I could give to explain that. And I, I enjoyed that challenge because that dynamic of you working that softer aspects to be successful uh, you know away from home mm-hmm. is a key dynamic for why i think so many irish companies have uh, managed to be so successful outside of outside of ireland i think that's a skill set a lot of irish uh, companies have yeah yeah so a certain gregariousness and flexibility about about the irish yeah i i married a non-irish person myself and that's what she often says to me about the irish um, just the kind of flexibility and the ability to to adapt. Likewise, I, I've married uh, an non-Irish person, so we've got something in common there. Yes, she <laughs> with two enjoyed. other things in common, yeah. uh, which yeah. is which is that uh, we both studied in Cork in that place. Right. Right. We both studied at the Open University. Very good. Yeah, I did my MBA through the, through the Open University. So, like uh, uh, for me, uh, you know, th- that can-do attitude. Uh, it was a key ingredient as well. I think that gregarious, you know, and I suppose jovial aspect that's kind of a, a key dynamic that would be associated with the Irish persona anyway. Mm-hmm. But also it was that kind of can-do attitude to kind of get the job done. And, you know, that in itself, you know, guaranteed you or put you in a good position for the next project. Yeah. 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 It's interesting as well, that phenomenon of Irish uh, engineering companies, it kind of coincided with the big wave of globalization that's kind of been with us maybe since uh, 1970 or so, and I guess they surfed that wave as as many others uh, did. What what would be your own view on the 
whole globalization question is it, has it been a positive thing a negative thing and where do you think we are with it are we stuck are we going backwards or are we just changing shape or what do you think is happening I'd say changes shape now. I mean, certainly it's been good for us. I mean, from an Irish base, it allowed us to kind of again box way above our weight, you know, and you know, experience and work in, in countries and projects, you know, way outside, let's say, what our natural resources or natural skills, like in mining and uh, oil exploration, to name two, and obviously in the pharmaceuticals, to kind of be able to export that back out now to kind of other countries. Certainly, globalization has has broken down those barriers to allow us to kind of have that as an export. And I think one of our biggest uh, commodities, we said earlier, is our skill set to, to kind of get to, to do the work and, and and to be able to travel. That, you know, globalization comes with movements and a need to travel. And, you know, the Irish are comfortable with both those tenants and the fact that we can and do you know, move, move around quite a bit. Um, so where it is now, I think it's going to come up in conversation, you know, the whole you know, we, we, we slammed into a wall 18 months ago. It, you know, the whole dynamic is going to be shaken back up again. You know, the way we work, how we work is going to be um, a, whole, a whole new premise. And I think for clients who thought maybe, you know, it would be good to have local engineering companies do the work now with remote working and, you know, you know, a lot of people working from home. I think that barrier has been broken. So I think, I think personally, it's going to be a shake up in it in the fact that now, you know, competition will be not local anymore it will be it will it will be truly global yeah Yeah, it's interesting what's the what's the business of dps uh, today what's the what kind of areas are they are they in and, and where are they active so at the moment we're in the biopharma and pharmaceutical but back life sciences uh, principally uh, so we're over 2000 uh, employees uh, internationally uh, and we're also in the advanced technology uh, areas you know with um, the semiconductor business i can't pr- pretty much name the companies involved there but yeah. uh, so we would have presence in europe strong presence in europe down into southeast asia and then all along the east coast of of america so mm. big big growth over the last three years uh, you know and a big uh, repeat business model that's the model that we would operate in we're talking, we're talking about production plants and warehousing facilities and that type of thing. Yes, absolutely. So, like you know, we would have been involved in some of the COVID uh, projects that would have been modified in some of the facilities, and we, you know, just the other you know vaccines and you know, and obviously, you know, personalized medicines is another big growth area for that. And then just the more traditional active pharmaceutical ingredients, just the, the manufacturers of that as well, which has been you know for some uh, sites in Ireland one of their one of their mainstays and, and remains that case. So, across the full spectrum of life sciences, you know, DPS would operate in. So mm. two big offices in Cork and Dublin uh, that would, would uh, represent what is still a very strong and dominant Irish market, you know, and, um, you know, that's reflected in, the, you know, the top 20 pharmaceutical companies all, you know, fundamentally being present here in Ireland. So therefore, that's um, that's a testament to the Irish and the Irish model. So um, from that point of view, they generate an awful lot of new projects that need to be engineered, constructed, mm-hmm. and commissioned and qualified. Yeah. And that's, mm-hmm. that's, that function of engineering, procurement, construction, and qualification will be the four tenants and areas that, that you, know, you need to do to actually turn a project from paper into, into a reality. Uh, I operate and you know I work in the life sciences section in DPS. I'm not involved in the advanced technology area at all. Okay, and you mentioned that the repeat business is a strong element of the, I guess the the business plan. Yeah. Um, so 
what why do you think it is that clients come back what way are clients benefiting from working with you at dps well, the security of delivery is uh, is important. You know, I mean, when uh, the speed to market by a pharmaceutical company is critical. You know, there's a competition on. You know, that's a commercial competition as well. They return on their investment from what is a significant investment to to bring a product to market. So therefore, you know, a safe pair of hands for the want of a better way of saying it. And to that end, then from a DPS point of view, there has to be a continuous drive to improve it. So therefore, you know, good, better, and best each time you know raising the bar again do using that sporting analogy it lets a high jump keep on moving the bar higher and you know within dps we have like a strong graduate program we have like continuous improvement programs as we look to kind of take the lessons learned of previous projects and see how we can enhance them further moreover to that then we would have used um not the implementation of lean uh, as as key to um, how we work because we see that as as you know one of the key drivers of documenting uh, uh, improvements so that we can actually demonstrate back out to clients that that they are engaging with a contractor an A and E company that's that is has a, and has a strong desire to improve. You know, Pat, the, the the construction industry lags behind, let's say, the manufacturing industry. You know, by quite a staggering amount. If you if you look at some of the reports out, where the productivity growth in construction has been, you know, very light. And I mean, there's been now a sharp focus on that by a lot of companies, and DPS have been at the forefront of that. We're very active in the Lean Construction Institute to try and drive drive those initiatives. And you know, people may look at it and say, well, in manufacturing, it's a kind of a very predicted and repeated process, and in construction, it's you know, it's a bit more piecemeal and different pieces of a jigsaw. Mm-hmm. But those pieces of a jigsaw can be assembled uh, very smoothly if you kind of have the processes and tools and techniques in place. And we've spent an awful lot of time and Effort putting those tools and techniques in place. And how does how does lean manifest in a service business like yours? You know, I guess lean started with kind of Toyota and, and manufacturing and all of these tools. You know, they have in the toolbox the Kaizen and the Hijunka and the five S's and all of that. How does that manifest in the service business? Are we talking about? Process optimization, or what, what? What? Well, no. I mean, when you're delivering out a project, you've got a defined scope. You've got, you know, what you're determining is the quality of the the facility you want to build, and then you've got the next two key pillars of that would be like to be three pillars around the scope of a project, which would be your cost, your schedule, and and quality. As I said before, the schedule is is a key driver to a client because you know it's speed to market. You know, the cost of the project is because there's it, a significant capital investment there to kind of before they get through their Turn on investment and obviously the quality of the project itself and the product so that you can actually make sure you can make, make a repeatable product itself. So to that end, like, you know, we would have looked at um, when you're looking at schedules, you know, and you, you build out a, a Primavera schedule, you know, you know, to a level four, very low probability of actually trying to get that to the date that's that's mapped. So what we we've used is we've used tools to come in and support that, like the last planner tool, which is a, a, one of the key pillars we offer here, which is like pull planning to try and make sure we're looking at the small chunks of the project at a time to make sure the constraints are removed. And what you're doing is you're getting a predictable flow. And with a predictable flow, you have predictable productivity, mm-hmm. which kind of brings you and marries you or kind of uh, overlays you in the, in the function of what would be a manufacturing uh, production line. Again, how is, how, is that, how is that last planner concept distinct from, say, the traditional way of working? Is it uh, you, you take to look at 
But what you're doing is you're looking out six weeks and you're you're looking at how you're doing a pull plan. And what you're trying to do is, if you look at that six weeks as kind of a runway, mm-hmm. there's going to be constraints on that runway that you need to remove to make sure that, you know, that large construction workforce can walk down that runway without any of those constraints inhibiting from reducing their productivity if I give you that kind of as a kind of a picture. So literally what we do is we have, you know, guys pretty much dedicated to uh, identifying those constraints. So the last planner will uh, identify the constraint and what it is then is it's incumbent on the team then to remove that constraint so that that productive work can be done. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a visual tool. So therefore, and and what I have found myself, I'm very visual. Um, and so when you're looking at, and it's it, uh, it's visual and it's numeric, so it's it's, it's quantitative, not qualitative. So you, mm-hmm. there is that maybe poor thing in, in Irish culture when you say, "How is the job going? It's going grand." Or now, what we say is, "It's ninety percent planned, percentage complete," which is a whole different concept. It's uh, you know you, you understand exactly numerically where where the week's work has gone mm-hmm. then from a cost point of view you know you're looking at you know target value delivery where you're looking at you know there is the term like scope creep where um you know the the, the cost of a project can slowly increment up so what we try and use, use there is a, like a tool called target value delivery and there we would have like taken a lot of um subject matter experts from america uh, Mr. Umstad, uh, David Umstad, and brought him back over here to work with ourselves from, uh, and did a one-week work with ourselves so that our, our core team could understand that concept. So the, the view is that you drive the costs down as opposed to let them increment up. And what you do that is, is by like weekly paying attention to the where the costs are trending and following the trends and not letting it ripple up or, or what we would call scope growth. Mm-hmm. So if something's trending the wrong way, identifying it and making the hard decisions earlier on. It's very hard to fix the cost on a project at the back end of it when things have gone out of control. And how is uh, the experience of COVID over the last year and a half or so, how is it changing the business and the way the way work is being done? Well, even the way work is being contracted, because well, it, contracted is still the same. I mean, you know, the, the fact that that remote working has worked in engineering uh, more difficult than construction. But if I could speak on engineering for a period there, what what has happened is that we we had. Um, looked to, again using a, a, a lean tool we looked at scrum boards you know a term you, you would quite know where you have swim lanes and each of the disciplines on those swim lanes and we had been using a manual system pre-covid which is just basically stickers moving them on a board mm-hmm. but um, thankfully i suppose and, and i would have to say with luck rather than 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 good management we decided to move over to an electronic platform maybe about six months pre-covid because we had a, a a job remote and it needed inputs from many stakeholders. So an electronic platform was the best one to use. And we moved into that and we perfected it and then we just migrated it out to all the others. So we replaced all the paper, the paper-based scrum boards with electronic boards. And that pr- pretty much uh, that helped us coordinate all of the remote teams remotely. So in other words, you could still have a task force team working remotely, sharing an individual board, which is kind of like um, a junction box that's feeding all the data mm-hmm. in and out so that actually teams could operate and function well. Yeah. From a construction point of view, 
yeah. it, it, it was more difficult. I mean, you mm. had social distancing, you had isolations. Yes, you had to manage, you know, COVID testing. And I know for ourselves, we had three or four projects which ran through, which were deemed critical at that stage. If you remember the legislation, they were deemed critical. So we were kind of pretty much, you know, uh, sailing as we went and tried to stay off the rocks, if you like, for the again, uh, knowing that there was no key recipe as to how to how to navigate through those waters other than actually just keeping being vigilant and using a lot of common sense and you know uh, staying in touch with the HSE guidelines and the you know the, the world health guidelines that were coming through at the time yeah and then the other big issue of our times uh, climate change and decarbonization so what where is this on the agenda with companies like uh, DPS and how is it changing maybe client conversations or project specifications and execution Oh, um, it's it's big, you know. Like you have the NZ legislations now, which is uh, near zero uh, emissions. So, therefore, from our point of view, that sustainability uh, and you know uh, how a building is um, uh, its NZ rating um, is, is critical to and, and all and, and literally part of the legislation anyway. So, it's been we're, you know whether uh, new clients like it, you're forced down to that way anyway, which I totally agree with. Obviously. Just looking and even looking at you know news recently, one has to look at the fact that you know climate change is an issue, and therefore from a, no, an, not, an the lip service is not good enough anymore. No, no, it's not. And you know, as engineers or engineering at this point of time, you know, we have to lead by example and try and put the put uh, you know best practice in, into place. And and that is again a matter of you know investing internally with it to the people because people within a company like dps people you know it's a cliche but people are your greatest assets you can buy your bims you can buy your you can earn your software programs it's the skill sets of the people that are employed and how much you invest in them to you know to understand you know best engineering practice or latest innovation center technologies that will enhance you know your role and function and and feed into that business of that repeat business model so really it's it, it they're all interlinked in, in some respects but answering your question it, it's it's a huge factor you know and in fairness to clients they are embracing that you know the certainly the life sciences all all the clients are looking at it as a key factor and you know from a point of view of, of their own corporate social responsibility mm -hmm. i mean uh, changing tack now as we kind of come into the last uh, couple of minutes so I might just ask you about yourself so when you're not working or studying um what kind of uh, things do you like to do in your spare time Oh, I'm uh, uh, I'm highly competitive in business and in work. So um, I obviously played uh, soccer and GA when I was a younger man, and uh, I needed to find a sport that I I could stay you know competitive in. And, and uh, so golf was was the one for me. So in my thirties, I took up golf, and I'm still a passionate golfer. Um, I'm the kind of guy who would put a simulator in his own garage so that I can practice and improve better. <laughs> Continuous improvement is a, is a mantra from home. So um, from that, from that end point of view, Patrick, um, golf would be the one from a point of view of just fitness. Um, I do a lot of cycling and hill walking, obviously coming from Tipperary. I'm fortunate to have the cameras, Calties and the Knockmill Downs in the area. So I can, I do a lot of, a lot of hill cycling, walking. There's a cycling legend from that part of the world. And there's a cycling legend from that part of the world as well. There's a couple of them now, actually, <laughs> given the a more younger version. I know you're referring to Sean Kelly, but there's a younger version of him now from the same neck of the woods, Carrick and Shore as well. 
So um, yeah, I, I do cycling as well, and and that, that's that's a great way to get out on the bike and just kind of you know um, clear your head, if you know, to, to get back into either you know your personal life or indeed yeah. your work life. Yeah. And are you reading anything interesting or any listening to anything ebooks, podcasts that you would uh, highlight? No, I've just uh, completed my um, Institute of Directors exams. So uh, literally, uh, the only thing I've been reading now is uh, is um, leadership, governance, finance, and strategy books, and uh, um, everything from Michael Porter all the way through. Thankfully, I'm done, dusted, and got my exam. So I'm, uh, I've I've, I've uh, just completed that. So I, I'd like to get back and, but I do read a lot of business books, and I do read a lot of uh, you know podcasts like yourselves because you're always looking for that new blue ocean idea that's going to kind of uh, allow you maybe to think of something something innovative to kind of give you that competitive advantage because it is a competitive market that we work in like like every other industry yeah yeah there's a, there's a guy i know and he says he reads all sorts of stuff and he, if he gets one percent improvement from something that he reads he, he considers that a, a win you know and if you do yeah. the if you do the maths on one percent improvement in 70 days you're twice as good apparently. there you go there you go <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll take that back to my golf simulator <laughs> okay. well uh, aiden it's been a pleasure talking to you today many thanks for being here with us Okay, thank you very much. Okay, and it's very nice to, for you to invite me and looking forward to hearing some more uh, output from Interlinks. You, you run a great show. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thanks also to our listeners. And remember that if you would like to know more about how I can help you to formulate and implement international business strategies that deliver, check out my blog on albalogistics.com and my book, International Supply Chain Relationships, which you can pick up on Amazon, Google Books and Apple Books. Thank you for listening and keep well until the next time.